You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning. I lost one of my car keys. Um, I got home one Sunday afternoon, and I've only been home about five minutes. And I try to always dump my car keys in this little tray when we come in the door to our house, and it looks like this. And... Um, it's not only a car key, so it's not too cheap to replace. It's a key fob and probably a couple hundred bucks. And, and we looked everywhere for it. and We couldn't find this stupid car key. I'm thinking, how in the world can you lose a car key in five minutes in your own home? So I found myself doing nutty things. I would wake up in the morning early and I would get on my hands and knees beside my bed and like look under my dresser and my nightstand thinking, maybe I dropped it and I just kicked it under something, you know? Annette and I cleaned out our whole closet looking for it. We never found it. We just finally gave up that we would ever find it. And, and I'm thinking, just go buy a key. You're going to need one, and you're going to be sorry if you don't buy one, so just go buy one. But I'm thinking, how, how crazy it is to spend a couple hundred bucks on a key when you're probably eating or sleeping within two or three feet of it every day of your life, you know? I just said, just forget it. I'll just have to buy a key. We, uh, we got kind of sick the week after Thanksgiving, the weekend rather, after the day after Thanksgiving. And so uh, we didn't get to put up Christmas decorations, our, our tree or lights outside. And so this past Thursday, I finally put some lights outside. And a week ago, we were putting up our tree and Annette says to me, move the recliner over this way and we'll put the tree right there where we put it last year. And so as soon as I moved the recliner over, guess what is laying where the, tree, where the chair was setting? Three M&Ms in my car key. No, I did not eat the M&Ms, and that was watching to see if I would. You ever, you ever give up on something? But, but not something trivial like a car key. I mean, something really important. You, you ever come to a point in your life where you just kind of give up hope on something that really matters? Because during the season of Advent, we are talking about hope every Sunday. The idea of the conspiracy of hope is the idea that God puts together a plan to overcome evil and bring hope to humanity. God puts together a plan where He gives His only Son to overcome evil and bring hope to humanity. And so that's why this week when I was talking to this lady about what's going on in her life and she's telling me about the difficult circumstance that she is in and all the problems in her life and the struggle and the pain and she says to me pastor rick i don't know if this will ever get better i said to her oh no god put together a plan with you in mind and he wants to bring hope into your life you see this is the christmas story And what really interests me about the Christmas story is that when God decides to bring hope into the lives of people, He decides that He's going to use very ordinary people like you and like me. And so that's where we find ourselves in the story this morning. You want to grab a Bible and open it to the Gospel of Luke? I'll be there every Sunday during Advent. Luke chapter 1. I read to you last week about Zechariah's story, and the angel appears to him in the temple and says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. And he says, hey, I prayed that prayer a long time ago. I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. 
But after he finishes his work in the temple, he goes back home and sure enough, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And so that's where we pick up on the story in verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. Let me give the words to you here. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so it's like Luke to give you lots of detail, okay? Uh, God sent the angel Gabriel, the same Gabriel who, the same angel who appeared to Zechariah, to Nazareth. And Luke tells you it's a town in Galilee. Since he's writing to Gentiles, he's saying you probably don't know where Nazareth is. So I'll, I'll give you those instructions. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the angel went to her, and the angel said, Greeting, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Uh, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I remember when I memorized that verse years ago from another version. It was, for nothing shall be impossible with God. So Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant, she answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So I pray for God's blessings on his word for us today. Uh, about 12 years ago, uh, my family and I, we moved from Tennessee to Ohio to pastor a church in a community there called Springdale. And uh, the, the church is a great church. And it has been a great church for a long time. It's had great pastors. Um, a guy named J.K. Warwick was there at one time. And Dr. Steve Green, who attends here, was there for eight years. And some of the greatest days in the life of that church was in those years that Dr. Green was there. A guy named David Graves was there. And, and then we moved to pastor. And I'll just confess to you that when I got to that church, it was a larger church than I was used to pastoring. And, and I prayed often about it because I said, God, it just seems to me that... I have no doubt that you've called me here, but, but I feel many days inadequate for the task. And I know you have a plan, but I just can't imagine me being a part of the plan for this church. Um, I, just, I just felt like that every day I was going to need lots of grace from the Father to be able to lead that church. So you say, how did it go? Well, let me tell you about my first week there, okay? Um, I preached on Sunday. And then on Monday, I was having my first staff meeting. And somebody knocks on the door. And so we said, come in. And they walked in the room and said, hey, I wanted to let you know that Linda Bailey just passed away. 
Linda was not a very old person. She was in her very early 50s, and she had had cancer, and, um, and Linda, you know, had planned her funeral. She knew that death was coming. And so they said, you don't have to do anything at the funeral. We just wanted to let you know. And I said, okay. And so when she left the room, that lady who told us the news, one of our secretaries, I said to the pastors, maybe I should go over and see Dennis, her husband today, and pray with him and express my concern. And so I drove over there that afternoon, and after our visit, he was very nice, and he says to me, Pastor Rick, why don't you plan on praying the closing prayer at the funeral? I said, oh, no, I I don't have to do that. No, I would like for you to do that. I, I said, well, if you would like for me to do that, I can do that. And so we go to the funeral on Thursday, and because she was in the choir, our choir sang, and the orchestra played, and uh, there were lots of people from the community there because she was very involved in the community, and I could not believe how many people attended this funeral. And so I'm sitting on the front seat, and I'm sitting there with my legs crossed, just waiting for the end where I would kind of do my little prayer, and that would be it. But... The funeral lasted quite a while, almost an hour. And so finally, at the very end of the funeral, somebody gets up and says, uh, we're honored to have the brand new pastor of Springdale, Dr. Rick Harvey. He is going to come and say a closing prayer for the family. What I did not know was that my leg was sound asleep. I mean, from my toe to my hip. I mean, it was completely dead. And so, when I stood up, I kind of did one of these things like that, you know, which startled the people that were immediately around me, but the entire congregation didn't know that I was stomping the floor like that. And so, I'm standing there thinking, oh no, because this has happened to me before, and most every Sunday before I stand up to preach, I am like moving legs to make sure they're awake because they go to sleep on me. And so, and so I'm thinking that I can feel my toes in my right leg, but that was a misconception. And, and so I think I can walk, and I lead off with my left foot just to be sure to give me another second. But when I tried to take a step with my right foot, I just threw it up about as high as my head. And it came down with such force that it just threw me to the ground. I mean, I just face-planted. I hit the floor so hard. I don't know if you realize how heavy a leg is, but if your leg is completely dead and you're trying to move it to get myself turned around where I could kind of get up on my knees and stand up, every time you move it, it's like you're spasmatic. And so here I am. This is a funeral, not a wedding. These people are grieving. And I am flopping around like a fish in the floor up here trying to get myself together. My, my brother says, you should have just laid there. Let them bring in a stretcher. And when they carry you out, put your thumb in the air and you're a hero. They'll all clap. But I wasn't smart enough to do that. I crawl up the stairs with my backside to everybody. And when I finally get up there, I do this kind of gesture across the platform, you know, trying to get to the podium. And when I finally get there, everybody is expressionless. People are just looking at me like... And I look at the husband, Dennis, and I said to Dennis, Dennis, I am so sorry. I had no idea. But my leg was sound asleep. At which point, a little grin began to come across the faces of people like, you are a dork, aren't you? You Oh, it was the worst moment in all of my ministry. I can't think of anything that compares to that. The family was nice and they said, Linda loved jokes and she loved to laugh and she would have loved this. I think they were just trying to make me feel better because it was a disaster. 
You know, I'm thinking, Lord, how in the world can I lead this church? I cannot even pull off saying the closing prayer at a funeral. Do you ever feel that way? Some of you are saying, no, I have never done anything like that in my life, Rick. I've never felt that way. God, I know you've got a plan. God, I know you want to bring hope to the world. God, I know that you use ordinary people like me, but God, I don't know how in the world you could ever use me in the plan. I don't see myself fitting in. I don't have the gifts, maybe. I don't have the skills. I don't have the training. I just can't see, God, you ever using me like you use other people to accomplish your purposes. I feel as ordinary as anybody in this room, I promise you. And I make some of the greatest blunders anybody could make. And if I mess up your funeral, let me apologize in advance for doing it. You know, I can't think of anybody more ordinary than, uh, than Mary. She was probably, scholars say, somewhere between 15 and 17 years of age. And so I asked a little girl named Morgan to come and join me today and stand beside me because I thought it would help you a little bit if you just saw somebody who was around that age of Mary. We don't know exactly how old she is, but we think she was probably somewhere around Morgan's age. So you're, you're 15 and you'll be 16 in August. And uh, I wonder, Morgan... Um, would it overwhelm you if, like, you were home in your bedroom tonight and an angel appeared before you? And do you think it would overwhelm your parents if you became pregnant? I think so, too. Yeah. And, and nothing against you, because I think you're a wonderful little girl. And, and I remember coming to see you when you were in the hospital just a few months ago, and you handled that with such grace and faith, and I remember just being so impressed with you. But if I was going to put together this plan where that I was going to bring hope to the world and I was going to do it through bringing a baby into the world, I might not choose you. I might choose somebody who had already had a couple of kids, you know, and was like a pro at raising kids and maybe a seasoned mother who had the ability to do something like, you know, cook dinner while she was doing laundry and tutoring another kid in homework, all with a baby on her hip. One of those super mom kind of ladies. But it wasn't God's plan. And so God chooses someone like you. A precious young girl like you. And he says, I'm going to bring hope to the world. Morgan, will you help me? Here's what I need you to do. And, and I really appreciate you standing beside me because I think it really helps us gain a new perspective about Mary, okay? Thank you. When, when I tell you that I was raised in Columbia, Kentucky, I'm just trying to impress you. Uh, the truth is, why are you laughing about that? The, the, the truth is, I was raised in a, in a small community called Fair Play, seven miles from Columbia. The only building, the only place of business, rather, in Fair Play was this one building that was a post office, a grocery store, and a gas station. And the same guy who managed the post office managed the grocery store, and he would also, the gas attendant, and if you wanted him to, he would walk around behind the back counter and make you a sandwich for lunch. You say, Rick, Fair Play, Kentucky is a stop in the road. I, I know, but that's where I'm from. That's where I was raised. And I know that they are worlds apart, but in, but in some ways... In some ways, I think that it's a lot like Nazareth. 
Nazareth was a very poor village. You understand, and I'm not being unkind, but these people were peasants. These people were very poor. And this is where this young girl, this very young girl, not only was she very young, but, but she was a very poor girl from this very poor village. We, we get a picture of Nazareth because one day Nathaniel is summoned by Philip. Come on, I got to take you and you got to meet this guy. It's the one that Moses wrote about and the prophets wrote about. What he's saying is, I have found the Messiah. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And you know what Nathaniel says? <laughs> Seriously, Philip? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was not a place of any importance. Nothing good really ever came out of Nazareth. Every time I teach a membership class, I say to them, why do you think that we call ourselves the Church of the Nazarene? And invariably, somebody will raise their hand and say, because Jesus was from Nazareth, he was a Nazarene, and so we are the Church of Jesus the Nazarene. But when Timothy Smith writes about the history of the Church of the Nazarene, he says the reason that we were drawn to the name Nazarene early on was because we wanted to be a church that related to the Nazarene. The poor. The marginalized in society. The broken. The hurting. And so when we chose a name as a church... We said we want to be the church of the Nazarene, the church for the poor and the marginalized and the broken and the hurting. I remember sharing that in a Bible study once and this little old lady raises her hand and she says, Pastor, do you think we should change our name? And I said, no. I think we should reclaim our identity. And so here's this young girl from Nazareth. She was poor. Being female was not a compliment in her society. Some Jews would get up in the morning and say, Thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile. Thank you that I was not born a dog. Thank you I was not born a woman. And she probably had very little education. In the very young years of her life, she would be given some time to memorize some of the Torah, but not very many years because she was a girl. The boys would go on to school, but not her. She would go home and she would go to work. And so this very young, very poor, uneducated girl. I I can't describe to you anybody on earth any more ordinary than Mary. Uh, when, when I read uh, the Gospel of Luke, um, I, I find this tension inside of me. And, and the tension that I find in me is trying to relate to these people that Luke is writing about. And the reason that I find tension is because you and I, we, uh, we communicate with people other than face-to-face on a device that we carry in our pockets that we call a smartphone. And uh, we communicate... Uh, by sending and receiving text messages and emails and talking to people. The people in Luke's day, when they communicated with one another other than face-to-face, it was by a handwritten letter that sometimes took many days to deliver. 
They lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle Eastern part of the world. The nation of Israel was under the reign of government of the rather Roman rule. I have lived all of my life in the western part of the world. The United States of America is undoubtedly the most powerful, most progressive nation on earth. I realized that there were many ways of thinking and many uh, ways of thought that influenced their society. I have lived for the last several years of my life with the effects of postmodern thought. And sometimes I read about them and I think, is there any way that I can find common ground with these people? Do we have anything in common? And, and then I realize that these were ordinary people, eating, drinking, sleeping, walking, talking people who got up one morning with no idea that God would use them to bring hope to humanity. Just like you got up this morning with no idea about God's dreams of using you to bring hope to others. Annette and I had dinner with this family a couple of years ago who moved to the United States from Uganda. Their last names are is Contenda. And so we were just saying, hey, how's your week been? They said, oh, we, we've been busy. We just got home late last night. We went to uh, our cousins who live in Columbus a couple hours north. Their daughter's engaged. And so we were there with lots of family. We had a nice meal and we listened to the plans for the wedding and she made a nice presentation, the young girl who's getting married, and we made our pledges. And we drove home, and we got home pretty late last night. And he's continued to talk. I said, Patrick, excuse me, but I'm not sure I understand what you're saying about pledges. And he says, I'm sorry, Pastor, it's a cultural thing. I, I, should, have, I should have clarified that. He said, in our society, in our culture, rather, what, what we do is when somebody's getting married, they have a dinner, and all the family comes, and the bride presents the excuse me, plan for the wedding and the budget. And sometimes we challenge the budget, but we all make pledges to cover the cost of the wedding. I'm sitting there as a father of two girls thinking that is the best plan I have ever heard in my entire life. I love that plan. In our culture, engagement looks a little different. In Mary's culture, it looks still a little more different because what happened was when you were engaged, it was considered a betrothal. You were pledged. The marriages were typically arranged. And it lasted sometimes for a year. And it was binding. The only way you could get out of an engagement? Divorce. That's why it says in Matthew... When Joseph found out she was pregnant, he decided not to disgrace her, but to divorce her quietly. They weren't even married. But she was pledged. And the only way out of the pledge was a divorce. In fact, if you were pledged to be married to a man, and that man died before you married him, you were considered a widow. And so the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph, and said, you are highly favored. And the Bible says she was troubled by his words. 
Don't be afraid, the angel said. You will conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus. And he will be the son of the Most High and his kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary said. I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And in that moment, Mary is being given a glimpse of the incarnation that God will one day become flesh. And He will walk among people. Do you understand the power of these words? And He will bring hope to humanity. And he's going to use a poor little teenage girl to make that happen. Where did Luke get this stuff? Do you remember in the early verses of Luke, here's what he says, I did this careful investigation, eyewitnesses, handed down from them, so I could write my own orderly account so you would know for certain what you've been taught. And scholars tell us that likely when Luke was in Caesarea in prison with Paul, because he was Paul's fellow worker, the chances are very good that he spoke either indirectly or directly with Mary. We don't know that happened for sure, but man, it does something to me consider that maybe the words that I read you a moment ago were words that were given to Luke directly from Mary. Tell me the story again, Mary. I'm writing an account. Larry King is a television, radio, talk show host. He's interviewed thousands of people. And one day when he was being interviewed, somebody said, Larry, if you could interview any person in all of history, who would it be? And he said, Jesus. Larry King was born a Jew. Why would you want to interview Jesus? Because I would want to ask him... Were you indeed virgin born? Because the answer to that question defines history. I kind of think I know. That's not a great sentence, was it? I think I know what happens at this point. I think, I think we start backing up. I, I, I just don't know, you know, how God, you know, would use me in the plan. Can I ask you then, how would he use Mary? Well, Rick, I mean, come on, seriously, I mean, God gets involved and does this. That's your answer. That's how he uses you and me. I'm not great. You're not great. We don't have to be great. God is great. You ever stop to think about this? God did not ask Mary or Joseph to be a prophet. He did not ask Mary or Joseph to be a rabbi. He did not ask Mary or Joseph to be a teacher. Mary, I've got a plan. I'm going to bring hope to humanity. Can I get your help? What do you need me to do, God? What do you want me to be? I need you to be a mom. 
I wonder if I'm looking in the eyes of anybody this morning who would say to me, Rick, I think the most effective thing I do in my life, I think the most significant thing that I do in my life is be a mom. Or be a dad. And the last verse is Mary's response. I get up and I read my Bible in the morning. And after I read the Bible, I respond. God's spoken to me through His Word. What am I going to say to God now? How do I respond? Often, after our services are over and we've talked about the Word of God, we ask for a response. So how do you respond to God? And Mary responds. And you know what she says? I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled to me. She says, yes. I spoke to a group of pastors in Missouri a couple of months ago. And so, as I was talking to them, I was talking about being here, and I was honestly bragging about this church. It's an incredible church. I'm overwhelmed by it almost every week of my life. And so he comes up to me after I'd spoken and he says, hey, I know you're excited about the church and it is a great church, but let me tell you a story. Several years ago, we were pastoring near Oklahoma City and we were in this small Nazarene church, of course, and we had a son who was very sick and every dollar that we had was paying co-payments and what the insurance did not pay in surgery. And Christmas time came, and a Sunday school class from your church adopted us. And they showed up, not with just gifts for our boys and gifts for me and gifts for my wife, but they brought us cash. And it was amazing. We, we cried and we hugged each other and we hugged them. And it wasn't just that Christmas, it was the next Christmas they came again and the next Christmas they came again and the next Christmas they showed up again. All the years we were in Oklahoma City, that Sunday school class from Bethany First Church came every year with gifts for our family. You know what he was saying? I think he was saying some really ordinary people God used them to bring hope into our lives. Last thing I'll say. We know what Mary's answer was. Here's the question. When God says, I want to use you, what is your response? You want to stand with me for a moment? So how do we respond? You know, maybe, maybe you would say, Rick, God, God gives me glimpses and He gives me hints. And I sense His Spirit leading me and calling me. And there's some places right now where I think God wants to use me. And maybe this morning, standing where I'm standing, 
I need to pray or maybe I want to come down front and it's really a mess down here. But I wouldn't let that stop anybody. You can kneel at a seat or you can kneel at some of these chairs or you can move stuff and get to an altar. But this morning, I want to talk to God about using me because I feel very ordinary. And if it's ordinary that God is looking for, then I'm his guy or I'm his gal. There'll be pastors who'll be standing on either side down here. And you can get to one of those easily. If you want to be prayed for, for any reason, or if you want to be anointed with oil and be prayed for physical healing, they'll pray for you. If this morning you want to become a follower of Jesus, if you want to be forgiven of sin, you can come and you can confess your sins and you can be forgiven. Or for whatever reason you want to pray, you're welcome in these moments to pray. Either where you are or you can come here and pray. So Kyle is going to sing a song that's a prayer. So let's pray this prayer together, okay? Here I am Down on my knees again Surrendering
free to linger as long as you like today, and Kyle will continue to to worship and we'll sing songs of commitment. Uh, if you want to come and pray with someone that is here, or if you still would like to come and pray, feel free. And as you're ready to leave, feel free to to go. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.